Welcome to the Paru Zings, Appraisers on Purpose podcast. This podcast showcases inspiring appraisers and professionals from the industry who are leaders in their field. How did they get to where they are? What have they learned along the way? And what do they do now for their teams, their clients, and the industry? Your host is real estate investor, entrepreneur, and appraiser, Michael Hobbs. Well, once again, it's a pleasure to get together, and we're very excited this week to have another perspective on the valuation profession. We know that Parusings is both entertaining as well as educating for so many individuals, both in the industry and beyond the industry. So we appreciate you joining us for another episode of Parusings, the power of values. And this week, I'm excited to have Irene Beckett-Janis join us. She has a fascinating story about her life and the appraisal industry. And with that, Irene, thank you. Thank you for joining us. Michael, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here and to share my story with the appraisal world and others that may have uh, an interest in joining our profession. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, we always like to kick off with that open-ended question, and that is, were you born this way or how did you get into the valuation profession? You know, I wasn't born into the industry. And I'll tell you, I had little insight that the industry even existed. You're so like everybody else, it seems. Yeah, I mean, very, very little insight. My husband and I were in the restaurant business for many, many years prior to my stumbling into appraising. As you likely know, we opened restaurant after restaurant, and of course, that industry is not the type that you can jump into an immediate success in either. And a lot of long hours working behind the counter and in the kitchen and greeting customers and customer service and so on. So I just got tired of it one day and picked up a college catalog and thought, wow, these courses look interesting. Maybe I'll sign up and see what this is about. Really? Yeah. It was literally, what do you call it? Like the way we used to get the Sears catalog or show up in the mail, like something shows up in the mail. And it has all kinds of offerings in it. I don't want to serve any more customers in the kitchen. From that, you find appraisal in a book? Yeah. I, I mean, it was it was more of, I don't want to work weekends anymore, Ooh. or at least not 18-hour weekends, Yes, right? Um, 6 a.m. to midnight or 8 a.m. to midnight on the weekend was starting to have its toll. So that was uh, that was more. Pick up a college catalog one day and look through what kind of courses I could go take. It just looked interesting. And then, of course, you know, back then um, in the state of Illinois, we didn't have the trainee license. You took your courses, you passed your exam, and you were a licensed appraiser. Yes. Fascinating. So here you getting burnt out, it sounds like, on the restaurant business, the restaurant industry that you and your husband were in. You open up a catalog. What looks so interesting in a catalog about the evaluation profession? I suppose it was that they offered a course. It was a one or two day course that was an introduction. So you could just take this course and learn about what the industry has to offer, what additional CE there is or additional education is necessary to enter the industry and so on. So that was the beginning, right? The community college, of course, they offered cooking classes where you could go into, you know, getting, um, becoming a chef, which I thought about having been in the, in the industry. They offered a variety of different courses, but this one, for some reason, just piqued my interest. I get it. I mean, I, I would have thought you might be the instructor for the community college cooking class. Actually, still kind of interests me a little bit, you know, taking some cooking courses and 
<laughs> maybe going that route. <laughs> That's fantastic. So you go to a one to two day intro. I've never done anything like that. I've never spoke to anyone who has. What was the experience? Just a classroom experience. It was an experienced appraiser. Well, I have an interesting story on for a later in the podcast. All right. And the experience was just a classroom setting and discussion of what the courses are like and what the experience is once you get to start working, right? What you'll actually be physically and mentally be doing once you start actually appraising. What appealed to you in that one to two day course that moved you in that direction? Or did it not? And you left and then came back later? Oh, no. I took this course. It sounds interesting enough. It sounds like something I can do. Yes. Which, you know, anyone knowing me, there's nothing I don't think I can do until I try doing it, right? Yes. Multiple times until I fall on my face. So I was going to mm-hmm. give it my best shot. And interestingly enough, I thought it was going to be something that was going to be a part-time thing to supplement the family and income. Right. Yeah. It was good. Turned out to be an entire career. I thought I was I was going to do something part time just to supplement the you know kids go, going off to college at that point and looking to supplement the family income. Something to pick up as a side job that I could do a couple days a week, perhaps part time. Yeah, completely makes sense. So here you go to this one to two day course. What happened after that? Did you just go back and transform the restaurant, or what was the next step? I took those courses, passed those exams. On the first try, and once I found that certificate in my hand, it was like, great. The state of Illinois says I can go out and appraise, but I have no idea how to do this. What's my next step, right? That sounds painfully familiar. What was your next step? My next job. Yeah, that was on. That was also fun. I had a banker that was a regular customer for lunch at, at the restaurant, so I asked him if he knew anyone. Oh, like yeah, yeah. Here, here's a number. Call this guy. I called up the person who became my mentor, begrudgingly granted me the opportunity for interview, went into his office, and he looked at me in in a way of, I'm tired of bored housewives coming into my office thinking they can do this, but yeah, I somehow managed to talk him into giving me a chance. So you walk in, you're coming from restaurant backgrounds, you walk into an interview. Tell me about that interview. You know, it's amazing and comical, you know, because I'm going into an interview. I'm not going to show up looking sloppy or any way underway. I show up in a little business suit, all prepared to look all professional. He checks me out up and down. He says, you realize you're not going to be working looking like that. And my response, as I blushed, was obviously this is for interview purposes. Oh, my goodness. So was that the beginning of your appraisal career? That was the beginning of my appraisal career. He did tell me that he was pretty tired of board housewives thinking that they're going to come in here and spend a couple hours a week. And I did give him a little bit of an insight to my work ethic and background, and he was willing to give me a chance. And from there, yeah, you know what I say all the time, he hired me on and I earned nothing but lunches for about a year. I gave my time for his trading, worked about a year, um, pretty much for free, drove all over Southern Illinois and Northwest Indiana. Fortunately, I didn't have to pay for my own gas or my own food while I was out there, right? Didn't have to pay for my own paper and, and ink and so on. So I worked during the day um, with Chet and I spent my evenings and weekends in the restaurant for a year. That's real commitment. I really acknowledge, appreciate that. So you're a year in and what changed? 
what changed? I started picking out the client that no one wanted to handle. You know, every trainee, yeah, yeah. trainees experiences. Yeah. Here you go. This will be an interesting learning experience for you. Yep. yep. Um, my favorite one that I talk about is uh, the plans and specs log hole. Um, the manufactured cone that I had the opportunity to watch being placed by crane on top of the foundation um, was really interesting. And, and then the client that nobody else wanted to deal with because they were pushy and aggressive. And well, I know we're going back a couple decades, but uh, I, that I don't remember that at all. Yeah, you wind up doing all of this work that you don't get paid for in hopes of landing that one appraisal. I wonder why this is a lovely industry. My goodness. Yeah, and, and of course, you know, the the experience of, you know, you did the prelim on this property, the preliminary research, you gave your client the rate. Yeah. And we believe based on the information that we have that this is, and then you go out and it turns out to be something completely different and you have to deliver the news. Do you know your client ended the second story to your property and nobody told us, uh, hello, this is an issue, yeah. not for us, but for you. And then, oh yeah, wow. So you start taking on these kind of clients. How'd that go and how long did that run for? Well, that ran for about another year, made him a good chunk of money on a 50-50 split for that following year. And then his client, so, you know, every appraiser that trains up other appraisers expects that the appraiser will leave with the chunk of his client base, which is mm. why most, I think, I think most experienced appraisers are hesitant to take on trainees. They always fear that they're going to lose clients that are trainee. Which, you know what, personally, I think that training teaches, not the trainee, but it teaches you. The more you teach others, the more you learn, right? Yeah, I agree completely. You research, you learn, you expand your knowledge, and you transfer that knowledge to others, and you expand the industry. And clients are like love, right? A client isn't going to have so much work only for one appraiser, right? They, they, should, they use multiple companies. They use multiple appraisers. So if a trainee decides to go off on their own and do work for some of your clients, as long as you continue to provide the service and the quality that you've always provided, you will also maintain that client. But ultimately what happened with this company is that I didn't take his clients. His clients took me. Yeah, let's just kind of leave it at that without getting on the juicy details. Yeah, well, the, the juicy details were as simple as that. His client started to build up this difficult client, mm -hmm. starting to build up an internal department for which I applied as a corporate gig, okay. and I got hired. All right, so you're in this century. I'm in this century. So I got hired on in 2002. The bubble burst in 2006 for a BC lending because they were a BC lender. And for people that don't know, what is BC lending? Uh, that terminology isn't as prevalent today as it was in the market back then. It's mainly non-conforming loans, and it's mainly for lenders that may not or did not qualify at that time to borrow with banks. They didn't have top credit. Yes. And they were a secondary tier in the lending market. So in that time period from the time they hired me on as a staff appraiser until they closed down operations in 2006, mm. I went from staff appraiser to managing staff appraisers to managing staff appraisers to staff reviewers 
to converting staff appraisers to reviewers to managing the east half of the country for appraisal operations. Wow, that is fascinating. So what started out in a little Greek, was it a restaurant or was it a diner? It was a little pizza joint. It was a pizza joint. Oh, well, so it's, from it starts out a little, a little pizza joint to all the way managing the east region of the country. So you get exposed to appraisal through a catalog. You get to a one or two day kind of intro and you're like, I think I could do this. You get a referral from a restaurant client who is a banker to an appraiser who sounds like a lovely person. You know, really was just was a little pessimistic at first, but he obviously didn't know your work ethic. You do a great job that ultimately has a client provide you an opportunity to work with them. And then you go through a series of opportunities, um, obviously. Performance continues to improve in a way that what I hear is that opened up doors for next opportunities. So for many people who haven't had opportunity to be a reviewer or to see work across a portion of the country, what's that experience like starting out working for an institution as opposed to being on your own? You know, working for an institution versus working on your own, it, yes, it's challenges, right? Either way, either working on your own, uh, working for an institution, you have your benefits and you have your challenges, right? And working for an institution is going to demand your full-time employment. Although as an appraiser, you're likely to still have flexibility in your daily schedule, but not as great a flexibility as you would as an independent fee appraiser, right? You still have the, the flexibility on scheduling your own appointment, um, setting the area, your coverage area, um, or complete autonomy on your appraisal. That's your appraisal. It's your signature. You sign off in every single one and still you'll work, right? But the value expectations, right? They're not quiet as they might be if you were independent fee. The company charges a fee, you get a split of that fee or you get a base salary and so on. But on the plus side, mm -hmm. it's the benefits that you don't have as an independent fee, right? They'll pay more expenses. You'll get time off, paid vacations, perhaps sure. mandatory working um, on weekends, which you might do more of as an independent fee appraiser. So there's there's a give and take. Yeah. No, I definitely appreciate that. That's fascinating. So you're involved in a staff role. And then at a point in time, I think I heard you say you started to manage staff appraisers. So you went from doing the work to also managing people and the work. What was that experience like? Well, managing people is managing people, right? No matter what industry you're in, there really is no difference. So managing people in 20 years of restaurant business is the same as managing people, you know, as appraisers or as reviewers or as um, support staff. It's just managing people. You set expectations. Those expectations are generally met. Right. If they're not met, you have the conversation on what what occurs if performance doesn't improve, which is not one that anyone ever wants to go. No one ever wants to go that route, but that also happens. And of course, that also offered the opportunity to teach. Right. This was in an era where the MLS. Right, Michael, you remember these days? Oh, I do. We used to get the MLS in a book. And you would flip through pages to find your cops, right? You would print your copies of your appraisals and put arrows, your maps. 
So when I was at the appraisal office or one of the reasons, I think that the client saw me as an opportunity as, as someone that could contribute to the organization is I was one of the first in the area for that organization to start delivering electronically. We had AOL DSL dial-up back then. Who knew that people in the pizza space knew so much about right. DSL? She's true. I hardly knew what a computer was. My experience working on a computer was preparing material for my Sunday school class. When I started, we were driving and hand-delivering uh, appraisals, which on the one hand was good, right? Because yeah. you maintain that personal face-to-face connection with your client. Yes. And then we went into this wireless transmission, yeah. right, which kind of backed down a little bit. The only way to get that face-to-face was to perhaps take a client to lunch occasionally. Yeah, that is definitely the case. So I, I heard you touch a little bit on you had the benefit of honing your management skills by being in a restaurant business, whereas most people don't necessarily have that. And then because, at least I inferred that you were saying, that because you were managing people, you had the opportunity to start to educate them and teach. That's where my mind went back to the beginning of where we changed how we get our MLS data, right? At that point in time, the MLS was changing. I had a team of staff appraisers and staff reviewers that were accustomed to looking at books to get their, their data. Yes. Just so now these people needed to learn how to obtain that data electronically. So. I had the opportunity to step in, provide presentations, teach them, um, first of all, learn it, and then teach it on how to obtain your data electronically. That was actually an excellent experience. One of my first experiences in presenting and teaching in a forum. Wow, fascinating. So as you were stepping into that, did you have any bosses, managers, any, any senior people that were giving you guidance on that? Or was it was Fred Flintstone, one hand on the wheel, one hand on the road? Kind of like being back in the restaurant. The other benefit of working with a large organization is you have a lot of knowledgeable professionals around yeah. you in your peer group, right? There's always someone that's available for a question or to help you get past an issue when you find a, a stumbling block. So even the younger associates, right, that were more knowledgeable on putting together presentations. Fascinating. So you get this opportunity. I heard you make also the reference that you start managing staff and then you start, I think you said converting staff. Tell me about that. Anybody that has uh, experience in working with a large organization like that, these organizations transition continually, right? They mold and remodel, remake their staff model continuously. So it got to a point where we opted to eliminate our staff appraisers and hold on only to staff reviewers. And what do you do with that entire group of people, right? Those who choose to stay, you have to again retrain to do a different appraisal function, right? Appraising is appraising is appraising. Because the function that you do kind of changes a little bit, particularly in your daily tasks that yep. one might do. So then you you transition, and that that's pretty much the the one common experience that I've had over this twenty plus year corporate experience is that yeah. change is constant. Oh, very true. Oh, very true. So you have had the experience of both being on both sides, of the two primary sides of the industry. There's a couple other sides as well. And then supporting uh, peers 
who chose to make a transition in the type of work they were doing. Many people haven't had that experience. What was it like and what, what did you find in terms of characteristics of the people who were successful in making a transition from going from, say, a staff position or a typical appraising position, seeing the properties, meet, you know, meeting clients doing research to actually doing review because they are definitely different activities. They are different activities. And I think the most challenging aspect for a reviewer is to actually look at another person's work with an open mind. It's always a challenge to look at an appraisal, look at the data that's available, yes. and in your mind think that rather than thinking, I would not use this data set, I would use this data set, therefore the appraisal is incorrect. Rather, one needs to look at an appraisal and think, does the supplementary data that I am looking at support the original conclusion? If it does, it's a good report. Yes. Right? If it doesn't have significant errors yes. in the data and the way it was presented, then it's a good report if the secondary data continues to support it or if the appraiser has provided an adequate analysis within the appraisal to support their conclusions. That, that's that little mind shift that I think is key. Amazing. So as you're helping some people successfully make the transition and some other people probably did not, I heard you also reference that, of course, the roles continued to open up for you to take on greater responsibility. And then you were no longer just involved in a single state of seeing properties. What was that experience like? Again, one that many people don't get to have. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that happened, that happened early on in that transition, uh, managing staff appraisers. You, you never manage just one state. You manage you know, multiple states or across the country. It's and therefore, you get exposure all around the country, which is very different from just being in the neighborhood, maybe that some people know, or the county, or a couple counties, or a city. You know, that, and that's the uh, one of the, the most interesting factors is that an appraiser or an appraisal company that is focused in one market and has most of their experience in the field will look at one who is in a corporate role and think you haven't had boots on the ground mm. right in x amount of years yes what does that say about your experience in appraising but the reality is is that when you have that opportunity to be involved whether it is to review someone else's work to help coach an appraiser in a difficult appraisal scenario. And generally, when you're managing people, you see the most complex or be complex. So ultimately, you grow more as an appraiser in that role than you may as an appraiser in the field because you see such a, a wide variety of property types and such a diverse appraisal product. Right. Yes. So appraising is knowing about what you don't know, right? <laughs> I, I think that's such a great point that you're bringing up, which is, was it a natural instinct? I mean, having that sense of knowing what you don't know and being both open to it and then learning and growing. I mean, there's there's a lot inside of that. There's so much inside of that. And it's so difficult to capture it all in you minutes of a podcast, right? And when you look at the 65 acre island that sits on a lake between two states and you have the conversation with the appraiser who is 
extremely knowledgeable and qualified, right? And you have to have the conversation and discussion over which state has jurisdiction. Do you need to be licensed in both states? Hello. And people are like, oh, and, and, and you know, residential is so easy. I'm like, well, sometimes it is. Uh, we spent a lot of time in commercial as well. I mean, there's a lot of easy commercial properties. Take those all day long over some of those complex right. residential ones. Right. So you do get, you get to learn so much and there's, there's just such diversity out there. And ultimately the most common question that came across was, I don't have any comps. I don't know what to do. I don't have any comps. How do I proceed? Right. And even the most complex property uh, appraisal, it always comes down to the basics. What is the highest and best use for a 65 acre island that sits on a lake in the middle of two states? I mean, clearly a billionaire should buy it. I mean, they need something to distinguish themselves. I mean, they add it to their portfolio. I mean, that's a trophy property. Could that be a resort? Highest and best use. Could it be something other than a single family residential property? Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. And ultimately, oh, dude, the restrictions were so so great, but it couldn't be anything else than a residential property. Wow. Okay. Okay. Highest and best use. Got to go through that legally permissible piece. You got to go through the legally permissible piece, right? And it, it's generally, people tend to overcomplicate. Mm, interesting. You can't find any cops because you're overcomplicating. What if it's not a, a reasonable substitute for the subject? If your subject is not available, what is the typical market going to look at? Those are your prompts. Yeah, that's true. That is uh, such such an important reminder of going back to the basics and the principle of substitution. Don't overcomplicate things, my friends. Don't overcomplicate things. It's just not that. It's just not that complex. The majority of the time, break it down, simplify it, go back to the basics, and you've got it. You've got it done all day long. Wow. So given that most people in their life would, may never get an opportunity to work in a corporate setting, and even if they do, they may not have an opportunity to attain a position and responsibility as a chief appraiser, what would you let people know that the position involves or myths, uh, dispel some myths that people think it is that it's not? Because that's just a, a different perspective that people don't have, appreciate understanding. A chief appraiser, mm-hmm. an appraiser working for any organization, is just another appraiser. They are your peers. I would often find that an appraiser in the field might be a little uncomfortable speaking to myself or one of my peers at the institution. But the majority of the time, a phone call from myself or anyone else or was an offer to help. I appreciate that's a good experience. Yeah, it, you know, the majority of the time, and I think even from reviewers as well, some uh, some appraisers had gotten comfortable they've had enough conversations, you know, and they know the people or feel comfortable with the people on the other end of the phone, while others were just extremely uncomfortable. And they are just appraisers. Mm-hmm. They're there to help. And they all have different backgrounds, different experiences, yes. and specialize in different areas of the appraisal industry or the of the appraisal process. Exactly. The experience of working with a large bank or a large AMC or any large corporate, is mm-hmm. that you always had someone that you could reach out to that would know the answer to the question. And if they didn't know it, they would know they would know who did know the answer. So the importance of relationships is what I hear you talking about. Other people have talked about different associations they've been a part of, 
courses that they've taken, what I hear is a, a lifelong learning pursuit, as opposed to assuming that they've ever arrived anywhere. You've never arrived anywhere in appraising. Always learning, always growing. I would agree. I would agree. Uh, you know, from the South, and we have a little saying there, it says, when you're green, you're growing. And when you're ripe, you're rot. There may be a lot more days where you see less new things as opposed to more new things, but there's always something a little new, a little interesting out there and that ability to connect. At this point, you know, you've had the opportunity. And of course, you only started a few years ago because we weren't discussing any decades in the profession, but you've seen a lot of change and you've been involved with some early technology along the way. What are you most optimistic about for the profession at this point in time? You know, as we're heading off in the, another decade inside a new century and industry appears to have been a little slower to change compared to some others, but a lot of change afoot. Or is there anything that you're looking forward to or optimistic about for the profession? I will tell you that from the day I started appraising, I started hearing that the profession is going to go away. Oh my God. Those ABMs are going to take over. The machines are taking over. War of the world. It's coming. 1984. I'm not going to say the number of years, but that's a... Yeah. I just know it's more than five. More than five. Okay. And guess what? The appraising industry is still here. It is. It is. How amazing is that? It's still here. It will transform. It will change. And appraisers just need to get comfortable with change. Enter it with an open mind. When your client says, I'm looking for more of these products, find a way to do those products. Find the way to service the client and the industry will remain. That is such an important reference that uh, being connected to the customer is vital. It is vital. Sometimes the customer does know best. Sometimes the customer needs to be educated, but the customer is not routinely wrong for an extended period of time. That's true. Because people with a pocketbook and uh, money to spend uh, will ultimately solve or satisfy their desire, however they go about it or whoever they go about it with. That's absolutely right. I think the products that we're accustomed to producing for the lending industry for the GSEs or the major banks. I think those might change. Uh, we just need to learn how to grow and change with them. I think that's helpful insight. That's helpful insight. When you look at the fact that, you know, again, this is just data. It's not, uh, not any personal reflection. The data shows that you're in a unique position. You and I are slightly different. Um, but also, there, uh, thankfully, there is a growing trend for more uh, women in the industry and increasing representation across a lot more groups of people that maybe traditionally weren't there because of when this industry started. What do you see as the future? Do you see that continue to increase? Do you see it slowly? Do you have a lot of people pos possibly reaching out to you because uh, you're an inspiration for them? They didn't even know that and a lot of people don't. We find people kind of hidden in organizations and, and invite them and people like, wow, I didn't even know they were there. But you're special, Irene. But I, I will tell you about the appraisers always expected to be the old white guy in the station wagon, right? Hey, it's where it started from. I mean, we're just just yeah. about statistics here. We're not pulling any punches. Again, um, and, and I do understand the what the statistics look like, but I must say that I was fortunate from the beginning of my corporate career to work with a very diverse culture. That's fantastic. It was very diverse from the leadership in my first corporate position. Yes. To the leadership in my second, because I had two different organizations, right? 
Okay. It, it was it was a very diverse, not only with uh, an ethnic background, there were a significant number of women in the organizational structure. Fantastic. There were a significant number of minorities, particularly in the first organization mm-hmm. that I was. Um, the leadership was minority, and it was a wonderful experience. I'd like to see that continue to grow. And I'm hoping that with today's culture, it will continue to grow. I think so. Our company's definitely represented that pretty much since inception. At one point, we spoke seven different languages, and it was one of our biggest differentiators in the marketplace. Is people like, you know, we have a client that speaks Polish. I'm like, yes, not a problem. Got that. I speaks you know, Greek. Not a problem. We have a problem that speaks Russian. Not a problem. Spanish. I can almost cover that myself, but we have that. You know, it's like meeting people where they're at as opposed to trying to force feed something to them. And sounds like you were fortunate enough early on to be part of a more dynamic organization. It was a great experience, like I said, particularly for the organization within the first city. It w- was was great. The second it had more female leadership, not as many minorities as I would have liked to have seen. Sure. But even there, I think they're currently growing. No, it's encouraging to hear. We've touched on a lot in your career. And at this point, I mean, as people can tell, you're still extremely youthful and there's many years ahead. What do you still look to either maybe do or accomplish in or around the industry? Or are you going to go take cooking classes? We're not going to take cooking classes, but you know, anyone that knows me, Michael, as well as you do, knows that I will follow the road where it leads, right? I will take on, you got something difficult for me to handle, I'll take it. And I'll see where it leads. Of course, you know, I'd like to be in that corporate space. It just makes me feel a little bit more secure. Been independent previously to my appraisal career, and currently I just feel a little bit more secure in what I know, right? That's just comfort. But if when you're comfortable, you're not growing. That's true. And learning and growing, every opportunity. Every opportunity is an opportunity to learn and grow. Definitely appreciate that. And with that perspective, as we kind of move to wrap up, what uh, words of advice or guidance would you offer to people either considering the profession or, you know, it's a time of upheaval. We're here in 2023, no matter what type of uh, evaluation you do, generally things are not as robust as they have been. Some people are really experiencing some tough times, but seasons always change, no matter how long the season lasts. Even winter in Chicago, it eventually goes away. So from that perspective, uh, maybe for those in the industry, or those that are coming across this and like, wow, this is fascinating. Maybe I could find a one or two day intro course to their profession. What guidance might you offer them? Well, you know, as as a dear friend once said, you got to learn to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yes. Learn to be comfortable being uncomfortable because only in that position do you grow. Learn to be comfortable with change. Don't fear the changes that are coming, but take them on and see where they lead. Love that. Those are fantastic words of wisdom, Irene. I definitely appreciate that. Well, anything else in closing? Thank you, sir, for having me on today. Oh, it's a pleasure. For the lively discussion. Oh, my goodness. Well, if they only knew about all the rest of the details. But, you know, that's the benefit of just having short podcasts versus four-hour ones. So maybe have the opportunity in the future find out how you, too, can move from the restaurant business into appraisal. Because what I really appreciate is that a number of things you touched on that you learn in a service-based industry totally apply, especially from a, a field standpoint of appraisal. You know, the customers, you know, the process, the, you know, got to get the work done. You know, so like, hey, I'll get you the pizza tomorrow. 
sit here all night. Like that, it's not going to work. I think people don't often don't realize how many transferable skills they have. Great spotlight there. Well, Irene, thank you so much. We really appreciate you joining us for this episode of Power Bruisings, the power of values as we get to learn, consider for ourselves uh, what other people's uh, paths have been and what we can uh, take from that. So really appreciate it, Irene. Have a fantastic day. And for everyone else until our next recording, thank you so much. Continue to share this out. Love the feedback. Um, Appreciate the recommendations and suggestions for potential guests as well. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Pavru Zings, Appraisers on Purpose. We hope you enjoyed learning from the amazing life paths and achievements of our guests. Don't forget to like us on LinkedIn and other podcast channels to hear more from appraisers and valuers regarding their life and their work. If you have any suggestions or questions for future episodes, we'd love to hear from you. Just send us a message on LinkedIn and we'll be sure to get back to you. Thanks again for listening and until we're together again for the next session of Paru Zings, Appraisers on Purpose. Create the change that you seek.